0: Well, this week while uh, our family vacationed at the beach, uh, all 18 of us uh, were together, and that included uh, eight grandchildren. And because uh, some of our grandchildren have some food allergies, uh, there was a variety of different kinds of food that we don't normally have around our house. Uh, Some of them were on gluten-free diet, and um, some of them were on an organic diet. And I found things uh, in the refrigerator uh, and on the uh, counter— and I ate things that um, I don't normally eat. and am not sure exactly uh, what they were, but there was organic raw milk. Um, there was organic half and half. Now, that's the one that I couldn't understand exactly organic half and half milk creamer for our coffee and that kind of thing. And so I wondered, well, what should I do? So I just decided, what the heck with it? I'll just eat anything, I'll eat it all. Uh, and I did. Now, that might be some strange eating habits if you're not used to that. And I think my stomach at every meal was thinking, what's coming next? But my eating habits weren't that weird this week when I read about uh, a guy by the name of Michael Lotito. And he eats anything and everything. And I mean everything. Uh, Once in uh, Amarillo, Texas, he ate a queen-size bed. In Quebec, he ate a whole bicycle. And he said the chain was the tastiest part of it all. In France, he ate a car. It was a small car, a Renault, but it was still a car. And the strange thing about it is how he became uh, this person who would eat anything. He was a sickly uh, little boy, and um, he was often bullied at school. And so he started thinking, well, I've got to do something to keep them away from me. And so one day to impress them, he uh, bit the windowsill off of a window, ate a piece of a brick, and then ate part of his desk. And it worked. It kept people away from him. So in his lifetime, he has eaten like half a dozen television sets. He went to Japan on one occasion with the intention of uh, eating a a jet. Um, But after he got there, he calculated that it would take him over two years from eating from um, propeller all the way back to uh, to the end to the tail of the plane. Then, not wanting to disappoint the crowd that was there, he ate two more bicycles and a handful of transistor radios. Now, that's a bizarre pattern of eating, isn't it? And I don't think any of us would want to exist on that kind of, uh, that kind of diet or that lifestyle. But that pattern of eating, that bizarre uh, lifestyle of eating, uh, some strange things, difficult things that we would not associate with what we would normally eat, it reminds me of uh, what Jesus says in the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter. When we come to the Gospel of John, the 6th chapter, we find that it begins with a miracle, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. Then it goes to another miracle, and that's where Jesus walks upon the water. And then it goes to a great teaching where Jesus teaches about being uh, the bread of life. But then moving from being the bread of life and making that great statement about being that I am the bread of life, we find these words that I think at first, and I even read them Uh, over and over this week while I was at the beach and just pondered on them uh, just to think now exactly what was he saying and let me make sure I've got this clear. So listen or follow along in John chapter 6 beginning uh, in verse 51 when Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread he will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. I think for most of us we would have to We have to hear those words and look at those words and think, you know, what really is Jesus saying here? These are some some difficult words for us to comprehend. In fact, uh, even those who were gathered around and heard it made the same statement. In verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then we go over and we look at verse 66. And it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And that's because this was a, it was a very difficult teaching. It was a very difficult and very kind of uh, 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 a challenging passage of Scripture for them to hear uh, Jesus talk about his life in such a way. And we know that Jesus didn't even institute the Lord's Supper until sometime after this. But there was a similarity between the bread and the cup and what Jesus is talking about. In verse 53 Jesus said, I tell you the truth... Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And there Jesus talks about those two common things that we will find here on the table. And that is the bread and the cup. Now if you listen carefully and filter through everything that Jesus has said, you will notice that Jesus likened His body to bread. He spoke of Himself as the bread from heaven. And He goes on to say then that we must truly eat of His flesh or there will be no life in us. He talks about manna that their forefathers ate. The only bread that this Jewish society could remember was the bread that God had fallen from heaven, the manna that would feed their people, feed the people, uh, and it was a substitute for their bread. God satisfied for them while they were in the wilderness uh, their physical hunger with this heavenly food. But even though manna was food from heaven and in that sense holy, it only filled their stomachs. It supported earthly life, but it did not take away death. But Jesus offered them bread, real bread, which was his body. And that was food for the stomach as well as for the soul. Then Jesus also likened his blood to true drink. And the Jewish people had a great problem with that. I mean, you and I probably do as well if we just hear this at face value, that we are to eat the flesh of Jesus and then that we are to drink his blood. So the Jewish people for centuries had sacrificed animals to God uh, for uh, the forgiveness of their sins. But they had a strong commandment given to them from God that they were not to drink any of, of the blood. And I don't know why they would want to anyway. And so maybe some of you here when you hear these words and you're thinking what exactly is Jesus saying? What does He mean by all of this? To eat His flesh and to drink His blood. And maybe you're struggling with that issue. Maybe this passage of Scripture has affected other people like it did, uh, it said in verse 60 and 66. You know, this is a strong statement. This is a hard teaching, and so many of them fell away at that moment. What we have to do is come to understand that what Jesus is talking about is the forerunner of celebrating what we do today, which is the Lord's Supper. He was challenging the people to partake of Him as the living bread. In fact, uh, Jesus would say to them in verse 35 a little bit earlier in this passage in His teaching... That I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. And so I think verse 56 is the key for us to understand this concept. Jesus said whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture is that now we have to accept the fact that he died for us and for our sins. And we have to accept the fact That the only power to forgive sin is in the blood sacrificed by Jesus Christ. It was the perfect sacrifice to atone or to pay the debt for our sin. And we have to accept the fact that Jesus was talking about his body and his blood in a spiritual sense. That they would represent the sacrifice that he would make for us on Calvary. So that we could know the forgiveness of our sins, a relationship with God, a, a Abundant and full life here with meaning and purpose and then in an eternal life in the presence of God and the glories of heaven. And all of that becomes possible through the sacrifice of Christ and we understand it more deeply as we partake of Christ. So Jesus was really teaching about the passion of God's grace and the sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. It also reminds us of the fact that we can only share in this rightfully as we are in Jesus Christ in a right right relationship with Him, with God, and with our fellow brothers in Christ. And and we are to partake of this meal as we have partaken of the life that Jesus Christ offers us through His death, burial, and resurrection. So then as we uh, understand then that this is talking about Partaking of Christ as our Savior and our Lord and responding to the offer that he gives to us through the sacrifice of his body and his blood. then how do we come to this table today? You know, what attitude should, should be ours as we partake of the bread and the cup which do indeed represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? First of all I think we come today and celebrate this with an attitude of joy. Now Jesus died for our sins, he defeated death, and he is reigning in the glories of heaven. Now when the day that he died on that dark Friday, when he died it didn't look like it was anything joyful. But when we today who are partakers in Christ can look back over the years, we have to do with a spirit of joy because we know that Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves so that we could experience the joy in life of being free of our sins and our guilt and the burden and the shame of that and live in relationship with God. Remember Jesus said in verse 54, "...whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day." Those are gruesome words unless you understand that they are filled with joy because what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, we should be joyful because Jesus died in our place for our sins, and we are the benefactors of that. We are forgiven as we place our faith in Jesus. So we need to come today with a spirit of joy. Secondly, we come to celebrate with an attitude of thanksgiving. In some traditions of worship the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist. And another word for that Eucharist it means Thanksgiving. And as we gather together around this table today to remember what Jesus did for us. That he paid the price for our sins. That he died on the cross in our place. That he took the burden The brunt, the guilt, and the shame, and the humiliation of all of our sin and all the sins of all people for all times upon Himself, then we need to come with an attitude of thanksgiving because of what Christ has done for us. In Ephesians 5 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this by saying, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think I would have to say today that only the most ignorant or withered hearts, hardened hearts, can hear this truth and not feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude. For God's love displayed for us in the cross of Calvary. And then thirdly, I think we need to come to this table and celebrate with an attitude of humility. See, not only should there be joy and thanksgiving, but we should come with a spirit of humbleness. A spirit of humility because Jesus humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven and all the splendor and he gave up his right to be there. And humbled himself, the scripture says, to become a person, a servant, and to come and die the the death of a sinner, a thief, a common thief. And that grace of God revealed and, and the passionate love displayed by Christ on the cross should move us to come with a spirit of humility. We rejoice in this, yes. We give thanks to God, yes. But at the same time, we have to be struck with a spirit of humility. I'm reminded of reading about in one of the great cathedrals in Europe of a certain statue of Christ. That when you stand in front of it and you look at it, you're really are going to be disappointed. Because the look on the face of Christ does not look like that which we would think. It's not soft. It's not beautiful. It's not reflective of love. In fact, it's harsh and you might even say uh, that it's ugly. But then you have to look at the base of that statue. And there was a sign there that says uh, kneel and look up. And then when you kneel before that statue of Christ. And you look up into his face. You see the masterful work of the artist. Because there you see at a different angle what the artist really wanted us to see. Only visible as we kneel in humility before that statue. And we see that loving kind forgiving face of Jesus Christ and there on our knees whether literally or figuratively we should be moved to humility remembering what Romans 5 8 says to us but God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were sinners Christ died for us that's what we come to remember today That Christ died for us and we are partakers of life with him. And today we come to partake of the bread and the cup that remind us once again of the love of God and the sacrifice he made through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So as we come today to this table, if you're in right relationship with God, if you're in fellowship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, if you are spiritually prepared to partake of this his body and his blood and remember him as savior and the sacrifice he made then we offer the opportunity to you today to remember his love for you by partaking of the bread and the cup